Hi, I'm Colleen Brennan. And I'm Janice Rodriguez. And this is Defending Indiana. We're learning all about bourbon with the man behind the wildly popular at Indiana Bourbon Instagram account, Dirk Fens. Hey, Janice. Hey, Colleen. Um, today we're talking about bourbon. Yes. <laughs> Delicious. Um, I... You just made a face. How do you I feel know, about bourbon? I know. I know. You're like, well, uh. No, no, no. No. I think bourbon... I don't really drink bourbon. I take sips of my husband's bourbon. And go. I really know nothing about it. Because I think if you drink too much bourbon really early in life, maybe for one night, you have a bad feeling about it, maybe for the rest of your life. Is this based on true experience? Is this? I mean, I'm just sorry. I'm just, um, I'm just tossing that out there. If that's all. Yeah. Mm. Mm. No, mm. I, you're right. I would agree with that if I would have, I didn't touch the dark stuff till much later. <laughs> yeah. I think I might have tapped into some dark stuff early on and then it darkened my soul, but, um, but that's okay. But I do. So my, my, uh, my husband drinks bourbon and yes. I now sip his stuff and occasionally I'll have a Manhattan and I really enjoy it. But tell me, you, you drink bourbon, don't you? From time to time. And I wanted to do this episode and I was talking to you about it because I did not realize that there was such a bourbon making, bourbon distilling scene in Indiana. Because I always thought that bourbon had to come from Kentucky, which now I realize I am wrong. So I'm looking forward to our guest today kind of dispelling that myth. Like tequila. Tequila has to come from the Jalisco region of Mexico, right? Mm -hmm. Champagne has to come from the Champagne region of France. There's like certain things that are protected. I thought that was the same for bourbon, but it is not true. About it. See, French. I'm always bringing back the French, baby. Um, so, yeah. So, I, you know, obviously doing our social media and I'm like seeing all this stuff. I'm like, what are all these distilleries down in Southern Indiana? And it makes sense. They're using the same, you know, limestone, like water and uh, using the same corn, you know. And so a lot of that, some of the water, <clears throat> pardon me, and corn are coming from Indiana. So learn something new every day. Learn something new every day. Yeah. So you're talking about corn and limestone water, and all of this means almost nothing to me. I'm, I'm assuming <laughs> that <laughs> I know wine is made out of grapes, and yeah, I you know I my my um I like cooking, okay, and I like eating, and I like drinking. Um, and I know what goes into my food, but it's really funny how little I know about what I'm drinking. I mean, I really know very little, nor have I spent a lot of time thinking about it. Right. I mean, you know what like, you like. And... It's like my taxes. There are other people who can figure that right. out. I'll go just think about the deeper thing. things. Right. You're like, just take, keep me out of jail. Yeah. Like, so what writing. is your drink then? Um, so I drink wine, but, um, <laughs> the older I get, the less I can drink. So, right? um, yeah. So I, I've always really enjoyed white wine. I used to love, I used to love beer and I still do. Oh my gosh. A beer on the beach is amazing. Um, but I really like wine and like champagne and Prosecco, but I, like I said, I will have a cocktail from time to time. Like I will order a Manhattan 
Um, that's like an old time. Made- I feel like this is coming off real circle because Manhattan's like an old timey drink. I know, but there's something. I will say this: there's something very sexy about bourbon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hundred percent. Like I don't know why fashion, that a good Manhattan, a hundred percent. Yeah. I think it seems like, um, like if you, if you had to rank alcohol, mm-hmm. like bourbon would probably be the sexiest. I think of like, you know, I think of John Hamm, Sorrel and bourbon at 9 a.m. At work. He has a cocktail cart in his office. Do you know how many times he goes to that cocktail cart? Yeah. It's like, how it's is he even alive? Now your dad was like kind of a business guy, right? Back in the day. Yeah. Did they do that? Is that? I don't know. We don't know what happened in that world. <laughs> exactly. We don't ask questions. We don't ask questions. Um, <laughs> no, I always think that's an exaggeration, or is that really how it was? But it really, I do, you know, the three martini lunch, like, there was very much like a drinking culture around. There, I don't know how was, people got work done. It's crazy. My dad's, uh, I think, oh gosh, now, so you're always afraid to tell stories because you never know what's like real memory and what's like, did I mix that up with a TV show? With Mad Men, Yeah. But I am, I am certain that it, my dad, my dad was a lawyer for a long time. And I think at his law office where I did work from time to time, they had a bar in the law office. They had like a bar room. That makes so sense. I would, I would assume there might've been some drinking going on there from time to time, but I don't know. I have no, I have no facts other than the presence of a bar. A whole bar? Like a yeah. wood grain bar? I think so. Yeah. You sat there and there was like a jukebox. Like what's going on? No, 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 not cart, that elaborate. But I'm pretty sure there was a bar. I don't, I'm pretty sure. Now I feel like I'm going to have to. You feel like this is, this is a madman now. I feel, like. I feel like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to confirm that this is true. And if it's not, I'm going <laughs> to take this out of the podcast. This whole part. No, I but it. I just, I think of, I think of, um, I think of bourbon as like, like a sexy apres ski drink, you know, like by the fire, hot toddy, tired muscles after a long day on the slopes. What slopes? What are we talking? We're talking about apres ski. I'm talking about my imagination. I love this fantasy world you live in. Can I come too? Is what right? I'm saying. Yeah. I think that's Urban, why. Really? I kind of say like a Fernet Branca. Like I feel more like you're like sipping an aperitif. <laughs> By the fire after a, a good, I don't know, lingerie. Is that just bread? I don't know. I'm gonna see. I'm gonna keep trying to do French. You know how I am with the French. You're like you just said bread. That wasn't anything. You did. You said I think actually I think bread you bowl said bakery bread bakery. Yeah, I think so. Thank you. I uh, never took a class. It was great. Um, okay, I'm here for it. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're for it. I know the big. Um, pardon me, my voice today. Um, I know the a big like drive for the bourbon market is actually appealing to women because I kind of have worked adjacent like liquor adjacent in my jobs and that's a really big thing they're really driving the market women yeah I had no idea yeah it's like that's why really men cool. just no, but nobody says that why are men not just for men anymore no but I mean I think um, you can make really great cocktails with bourbon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that whole thing where, like, it, I don't know, it's just smoother than, to me, than, like, some people just can't do, like, a scotch. Like, a scotch is too, like, smoky or peaty or whatever. I mean, I discovered a couple years ago rye, so bourbon rye, which is made with rye instead of, and corn? I gotta look that up. Um, 
And uh, it always goes really well with like cranberry, but like good cranberry. So you have to go to like kind of like a fancy place. A good bartender knows how to like make a good rye cocktail. So that's, so the, the whole reason I even started drinking Manhattan's was because <laughs> I was sipping on my, I'm like, give me, give me a taste of that. Give me, let me just mm-hmm. see what that tastes like. And um, the, the nicer the restaurant we were in, the better the drink <laughs> was made. I don't know if that's consistent. I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of great restaurants that make great drinks, but my husband mixing his own Manhattans at home do not taste. Sorry, babe. Do not taste as good. They're as never as good. That a real bartender makes. Sorry. They're never as good. They use like the good stuff. Like an old fashioned at home and an old fashioned yeah. like, fancy place. No. Yeah. I don't, know, but I don't know what they sprinkle on that orange rind, but there's something they just, maybe they just whisper professional right, exactly. <laughs> real cherries soaked in <laughs> angel juice. I don't know. What's angel juice? We know what we're doing. Exactly. <laughs> Our proportions are correct. It's not just straight bourbon. Right, exactly. What did people drink when you were growing up? Boone's farm. <laughs> Strawberry Hill. What? Your mom and dad? Oh, no drinkers. Oh, really? My whole family does not drink. Yeah. You're kidding. Mm-mm. Gosh, you are not Irish. No, but I am Catholic. That's right. And uh, I don't know. No, they're not drinkers. I probably saw my dad drink an old style maybe like five times in my life as a kid. Yeah, no. And then my stepdad's, <laughs> he's, a, he's a substance abuse counselor. So why am I laughing? I don't know. That's of course he doesn't drink. That's a that's a good job helping lots yeah, of people. Yeah, we're helping people. So yeah, I'm like very no. How do you say that word? Is it teetotaler? 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 I don't know how to say it. That's what we are. Okay. Wow, I had no idea. So what was it? Wait, that brings an interesting question. What was so when you when you started drinking? How was it? I mean, was it accepted? Like, how did you? Of course not. So when. So when you're at family gatherings, do you like bring your own booze or, or do you just not drink at all? No, I just don't. Yeah. We don't drink. And I mean, it's not now it's like, Oh, if you want to have wine, I don't really want to drink anymore, but I've definitely cut down the last like five, 10 years. I just mm-hmm. like, can't to- tolerate it. Like you were saying about wine, yeah. wine turned on me like a, like a year or two ago. Mm. I, I heard that, that it happens to people as you get older. Yeah. I think I told you that. <laughs> Was it you? And then it happened to me. I was like, yeah. Oh, it happened to me. And then it happened to me. Yeah. Um, no, I just, I didn't grow up in a big um, drinking like culture, which is funny. Cause then obviously, you know, we're in high school and you're like, who's getting us booze. You think it's like the coolest thing ever. And it's really stupid. I feel like um, based on what you already told me that you grew up a little differently. I grew up a little differently. <laughs> I mean, were you like allowed to have a cocktail like around the table? No, oh. no. I mean, not, not when we were underage. Oh, okay. Um I don't know. I, you know, it's, it's a, it's a weird conversation, right? Because like, as you start, (laughs) as you start thinking about it, you're like, what was a different time? It was a different, you know, you really Mm -hmm. look at the Mad Men stuff. I I keep referencing Mad Men. uh, Which is way before your time, by the way. Which is way before (laughs) my time. But I feel like that was the time of my parents. So it would explain culturally why, you know, the presence when I was small, right? Okay. Um, that makes sense. 
No, I just I, you say know, it was like good for you, right? I mean, well, it, it wasn't. Con- I don't think it was ever. You know, the attitudes I think when I was growing up was that it it wasn't bad, right? Um, you know, and then obviously you you end up knowing people who have substance abuse problems, and and certainly um, that happens all over, and it certainly happened uh, where and when I was growing up, but. I mean, I think people didn't talk about it. It was accepted. It was understood. But if there was ever a problem with it, nobody really ever discussed it. So we didn't see, you know, we never saw problems with it. I guess that's what I mean. Like when it became a problem, there weren't really people acknowledging out loud in public that it was a problem. Uh, Janice is laughing. The go Catholic way. Yeah. Let's just bury it. Well, and I think, you know, I think that's an Irish thing too, to be honest, you know. Yeah, I've got I was jokes gonna say. about that. Yeah. <laughs> Indiana, all of it, Midwest. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. But yeah. So I think I don't know. It's just um I, I guess I guess because of that, I kind of appreciate the art of like the cocktail and like the art of like distilling and you know what I mean? Because I'm just not a big drinker. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that the difference is, you know enjoying a cocktail or enjoying a drink to just enjoy the taste, the quality that goes into it, the, the art of the manufacturing of it. Right. As mm-hmm. opposed to let's just get drunk. Let's just get drunk. Let's just get drunk. Let's get. And, and I, you know, I had a friend in college who uh, was British and she just thought it was insane. The way Americans handled alcohol. Because, you know, she's, she'd say, I had a, I had a drink with dinner when I was, you know, 12, I'd have some wine, just a little bit. And, and she said, so, you know, and she, and I don't ever recall her getting drunk in college, like with the whole drinking culture. Mm-hmm. I, and she just was like, people, like, calm down, what, is, right. what is wrong with you? So I do wonder, does that make a, does that make a big difference? But, um, but back to the point about bourbon and, and and alcohol and spirits. I think that uh, if you are, obviously, if you're drinking responsibly, if you're enjoying it for what it is, um, it's all, I think it's all good. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm, I'm excited that Indiana, you know, we've done the beer episode last season. Um, I, you know, it's, it's great that Indiana is part of, you know, this, I hate saying industry, but kind of, but it's like very artisanal, and yeah. the way they're doing it is kind of small batch and independent and it, it's really cool. So I have a reason uh, plus to go to Columbus still from season two, right? Um, yeah. I'm saying I think of all the things I have. We're like, we still have to go there and French lick. And okay. In case you guys don't, this is like your first time ever listening to this episode. I haven't seen most of the state of Indiana. <laughs> it's just, it's, so when we do these episodes, it's really more for me to like just make a list of like, Oh, I haven't done that either. So, um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm excited about checking out all these places. There's, there's really so many. And, um, I just, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. I I'm, I'm fascinated because like you had said earlier, I thought that bourbon was a a specific Kentucky thing and, Mm -hmm. and we'll probably talk more about different things that are made in Indiana that we really didn't realize, or maybe that need to be celebrated a little bit more than they are, or maybe that people just people in general haven't been aware of it, but, but bourbon is one of those things where I had no idea what a, what a, how many people 
were producing bourbon in Indiana and what a what a high quality product it is. And so I'm just I'm fascinated to meet our guests today and, and hear more about what uh, the Hoosier State has to offer in terms of bourbon. That sexy, apre ski drink. You like vodka's had their moment. Tequilas. But oh, I still do think that bourbon right bourbon is like a hundred percent sexier than than like vodka or gin. Yeah, I don't like gin. Tequila is kind of sexy, but that's like you know that's like hot hot bodies by the pool. Sexy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like, like some music going on. There's a guy with the open shirt, right, playing the bongos. Yes. Could be rum, but I'm going to go with tequila. Keep going with me on this. No, I'm, I'm going with tequila a, on that one. Tequila, yeah. And everyone's drinking Palomas. Yes. Why am I dancing? I don't know, because Are it looks kind of good. Me? It's weird. I'm going to join you with dancing. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, I think I think tequila can be sexy, but, but the problem with... I think the reason why I put bourbon on top is because I feel like you're more fully clothed while you're drinking it. And for me, that just seems far more appealing. I mean, maybe I'm sexier when I'm <laughs> wrapped in a parka and a blanket. Our guest today is a bourbon enthusiast focused on bringing attention to Indiana spirits, Indiana farms, and Indiana families. You can find him on Instagram at Indiana Bourbon, where he has over 30,000 followers. Please welcome our guest, Dirk Fenz. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Yay, we're glad you're here today. So Dirk, I'm fascinated. Denise and I were just talking about alcohol and and drinking and bourbon. And both of us, you know, over the course of recording this podcast have been interested and really kind of surprised by some of the things we've learned about Indiana. And one of them was bourbon. This was Denise's idea for our episode today. Uh, Tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you started, uh, at Indiana Bourbon. Okay. Uh, it's been about 2016, I like guess summer 2016. Uh, we've got some good friends that were into bourbon for a long time. Uh, kind of got us started into, uh, I'm a rum guy originally. And then uh, once we discovered bourbon, that was the end of rum for me. <laughs> we've been bourbon and whiskey ever since. Um, we did a couple of distillery tours with them and tasted some really good uh, whiskeys at New Year's Eve party, stuff like that, where they bring out the high dollar stuff. And uh, he got he got us hooked. So um, my, my going over the market kind of at the time, um, Indiana didn't have uh, craft artisan distilleries until about 2013. So everything was kind of new by 2016. It was just kind of starting to roll out a lot of these distilleries were. So um, I noticed there wasn't a lot of social media presence at the time uh, for our Indiana distilleries. But I did see that there was quite a bit of uh, potential in uh, the things we had tasted and the places we had been. So um originally thought we could start this Instagram page and try to bring a little focus uh, to the distilleries here. If we could, um, starting out with an Instagram, you don't know if it's going to catch on. You may have 10 followers. You may have somehow 30,000 a few years later. So um, it, it's really been uh, a lot of fun along the way. And I think it's, it's, nothing to do with me. It's more to do with the distilleries and the spirits that they're making and the families behind the brands that have taken this thing off. Uh, you'll see on my page, I've only shown my face on there probably three or four times because uh, I'm just a guy kind of passing the word along. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not out in the farms in the fields sweating. I'm not in the, in the rick houses sweating or doing any of the, the physical labor. 
Um, but I do love their spirits. It's all genuine. And I think that comes across on my page. At least I hope it does. Oh, it absolutely does. Your page is beautiful, by the way. The way I, it's, it's, uh, we were talking about how bourbon seems to be like one of the most sexy spirits out there. Yeah. And, uh, you really make it look sexy. Yeah. <laughs> it's very photogenic. It's great. Yeah. It's very photogenic. There you go. <laughs> it appears well. I love it. It shows Thank well, you. as they say. Thank so you. you said there were, um, there was kind of like this boom, if you will, but between like thir- 2013 and 2016. So, and it's still growing. So these are like, really small distilleries, right? For the most part, yes. We have a few. I mean, compared to Kentucky, they've got like a 160-year head start on us. Uh, of course. So, uh, <laughs> they're much more uh, um, growth-wise. They're much bigger facilities. But um, we have one in Starlight, Indiana, uh, Starlight Distillery, Indiana, in okay. southern Indiana, near Kentucky. Um, it's probably our, I would say, our biggest and maybe our largest producer. Besides, there's MGP, which... Um, does a lot of sourcing for major brands. It used to be Seagram's back in the day. It's an absolute enormous facility, probably the biggest whiskey maker in the world. Um, but we're talking more, focused more on the craft people. And Starlight's probably the uh, most well-known right now in Indiana. Um, we can talk about them a whole lot. I mean, they've got all kinds of things going on there. They're a father and son team. There's a Ted uh, Huber and his two sons, Blake and Christian, are all master distillers down there. Um, they're making unbelievable spirits, but, and all the way down to the little guys that are aging just like a dozen, uh, barrels, like a hunt club distillery, absolutely phenomenal group of dudes up there, uh, a little bit North of Indianapolis. Um, so we got everything in there between the dozen aging barrels and they've got thousands of barrels and just built another building, another brick house at Starlight to hold another 6,000 barrels there. So, uh, we got the small and the big guys right now. Wow. Tell me, I'm, I was curious about something you just said earlier. Um, why is it that Indiana didn't really start making bourbon until 2013? Was there any reason for that? Well, there's there was <clears throat> Indiana is pretty well known in the alcohol field for their uh, let's just call them old timey laws. <laughs> uh, they right. don't we're not real progressive when it came uh, to the alcohol laws in this state. We still aren't uh, to a certain degree, especially with shipping and things like that, which is which is tough on some of these distilleries that people through the page want to get these spirits out in California. Well, you can't ooh. send it, right? That's <laughs> my next question time. about distribution. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's a work in progress, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I, the there was a law passed, I, mean, it, I believe it was 2013, about artisan distilleries. It was a separate little category that kind of lets people under these certain very strict uh, criteria um, start to distill uh, spirits that they couldn't do before. So I think we had six distilleries at first that got in and now we're up to just about 40 or so in this state. Okay. So it grew in those nine years. Yes. Yes. Quite a bit. We've, we've come a very long way. So saying with Kentucky, I feel like I read somewhere that they were getting a lot of their source materials from us, like the corn and the water because it's because of yes. the limestone, but they were just making it there. Is that true? Or we have, we've supplied a lot of the grains to Kentucky for okay. a very long time. Um, and we have the same limestone here that they have there that kind of filters the water. You, right. you could say. Um, so basically the difference in Kentucky and Indian bourbon right now is just an imaginary border. Um, and their, their head start because of the laws, the way they are down there. But we supplied the grain for a very long time. It's an MGP now, which said was Seagram's uh, years ago. Um, they've been supplying 
whiskey and all kinds of brands. I think they have maybe 40 to 60 different brands they supply whiskey for. Um, one of my favorite things in getting the hate mail from Kentucky people on my Instagram <laughs> is that they say that we can't make bourbon <laughs> in Indiana. It's a Kentucky thing only, which is not true. Uh, okay. But then you scroll their page and you find them sipping on MGP products that were made in Indiana. Indiana, you're like, because it, it's labeled as something else. So that's always fun for me. But yeah, the, we, we do supply a lot of the grain to this day. We still do to Kentucky whiskeys. I'm so glad you touched. Yeah, because I was going to ask you. Sorry, Colleen. But yeah, no, about, no, that's the big. Yeah. That's the big misconception, I think, because of like tequila having to be be from Jalisco, like champagne yes. having to been be from the champagne region of France. So everyone, even myself, because actually my my in laws lived in literally in Bourbon County, um, yeah. Kentucky, um, which is funny. Well, Scott County, which was actually a dry county, which is hilarious, right? right. Um, couldn't drink it there. Um, yeah. You couldn't buy it there. You could drink it at home, or you could right. have like a sample. But uh -huh. um, I did also think that I thought that it had to come from the state of Kentucky. Yeah, and yeah, where does it that that comes from? That right, just like an ownership type of thing. Yes, I mean, there's there's very there's certain laws or standards in place that you have to make bourbon through these areas. But one thing about bourbon, where it has to be made, is the United States. That's it. Any okay. any state in the country can do it, but it, to be called bourbon, we have to make it here in this country. But okay. uh, you, my DMs say differently, but that <laughs> that's right. the way the law actually is. <laughs> Um, I actually, sorry, one more question about that because I was yeah. just talking about the Japan's a big whiskey uh, country yes. now. And so, yes. and I know like with the Centauri Beam thing and uh, I I feel like they're making bourbons. There's and a lot of Japanese whiskeys out there. It's whiskey, the, right? They can't yes. call it bourbon, right? Right. But a lot of our bourbon is being uh, imported into Japan. They're they're very big on like the, the Blanton's straight from the barrel. A lot of these barrel proof bourbons from Buffalo Trace and things are going to Japan because there's a huge market there. Huge market. That's awesome. Okay. Okay. Cool. Well, are, so so bourbon has to be produced in the U.S. That's the yes. rule. Yes. So, and we know that Kentucky sort of cornered the market on bourbon for a yes. long time, but yes. now Indiana is growing. Are there are there are there regions within the state of Indiana that are are different for how they produce bourbon is it kind of the same all over the state like how does how does that work there's a lot of the, the hardest part about you know there's the Kentucky bourbon trail it's a very popular thing everybody goes out there you can kind of hit a bunch of distilleries the the toughest part right now uh for Indiana spirits and Indiana whiskeys is that they're pretty spread out uh, me and my wife do quite a few trips downtown. You can hit four or five distilleries in Indianapolis area, but then you've got to drive an hour to Old 55, which is worth the hour drive if you haven't been, go. And then you've got to go to northern like Fort Wayne, South Bend to see a few more. And there's quite a few um, down south as well. So uh, we're kind of spread out right now as far as um, how to see them all. But individually, I think they're all worth their trips because like I said, the, the families behind these brands are incredible. Um, but the whiskey itself is primarily, uh, they said there's certain laws in place where you have to do these certain things to be able to make bourbon. Uh, I believe it was last year that Indiana rye became an official thing. Uh, that was kind of signed into law that there was qualifications to call this an Indiana rye. Has to be done, obviously, in Indiana. And quite a few things uh, go along with that. But um, there's different distillers that are a little more innovative, I think, than others. Um, that's what kind of separates some of our distilleries from each other and our distilleries for sure from Kentucky being smaller and being craft, you kind of have 
uh, more options to experiment. Uh, Alan right. Bishop down in uh, French Lick uh, is unbelievable. I mean, the guy's got a four grain bourbon that Fred Minnick, one of the biggest, uh, I would say, whiskey critics in the world, called the best bourbon ever made outside of Kentucky. Uh, that's a pretty big deal, you know, for those guys. He also has a seven grain uh, whiskey coming out and things like that. So uh, the, the foundation is the same, but the way these craft guys do it is what sets us apart. Biggest whiskey tasters, whiskey critics uh, in the world. And he called it their Lee Sinclair four grain uh, bourbon right here. The best uh, bourbon ever made outside of Kentucky, which is wow. a huge deal, obviously. I mean, this, this guy's tasted more spirits by anybody on the planet. And he thinks and your DMs blew up, didn't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, they did. Where can I find it? How much is it? Where is it at? So uh, proud for him, too. I mean, Alan Bishop's a great dude. He's an absolute genius, mad scientist when it comes to whiskey. So I was happy for him, for sure. Well, this is a great thing, too. I mean, I know there's stuff to it, but I think people get confused, too. So just to make sure I understand it. Whiskey is like the overall category, right? And so yes. whiskey, there's like base like requirements, right? It has to be 51% corn. For bourbon. To whiskey, That's for bourbon. Be, okay. Yeah. Every bourbon is a whiskey, but not every whiskey is a bourbon. It's kind of the way that it's usually explained. Okay. Um, yeah. Like rye whiskey, it can be straight corn whiskey, but bourbon has to have 51% or more corn uh, all the way up to hundred percent if, if you want to, but at least 51% corn. And this, this is where we're aging, though, right? We're getting into the barrels, and that's where it's becoming bourbon. Yes, it's got to be aged in a charred oak. They say container. Everybody puts them in a barrel because it makes sense, but it doesn't have to be a barrel. It can be anything that's charred American oak uh, container, basically. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> there's substantial rules. They said if you do if you do fifty percent corn, it can't be bourbon. If you don't char the barrel, it can't be bourbon. So, uh, which if you don't char the barrel, it won't taste like anything. So. Right. Uh, I was going to say, thanks for my whiskey. Thing. Thank you. Right. So I really like rye. I was talking about this earlier and um, I, I, this is where I'm confused. Maybe you can help me. Are there rye bourbons or is it all rye whiskey? And it's just more like a marketing thing or I'm just really confused. Yeah. Like a true rye whiskey can be hundred percent rye uh, grain and okay. then bourbons can have percentage. Most of them do have a percentage of rye. A lot of bourbons will have uh either wheat or rye in their mash bill. Um, and there's high rye bourbons that has more percentage. There's low rye bourbons. Uh, but a true just straight rye whiskey is just rye uh, grain as the, okay. as the grain inside. So is it the corn that makes the bourbon sweeter? It depends because the, the wheat makes the bourbon sweeter generally. The corn can be in Old 55 Distillery, we can talk about that, has a 100% sweet corn. Uh, whiskey. They're the only people in the world that make it. Um, and it's probably my favorite whiskey I've ever had. And that's not trying, I'm not trying to pander to anybody. It's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, but th it's the different grains, the combinations, because they can take, and I said, if you want to talk like the ins and outs, that you get an Alan Bishop from French Lick or Jason Fruits Mole 55 on here, and they can literally dissect this entire thing for you to a level where I can't even fathom. But uh, a lot of times, if you're talking about bourbon, a weeded bourbon is sweeter than a rye bourbon. So if you like sweet, you'd want to lean towards uh, a weeded bourbon. So are there any differences between or distinct differences between Indiana bourbon and bourbons made in other states? 
I'd say that the biggest difference is at the Kentucky part where we have the same uh, limestone water, which is a crucial part. And I think what makes a lot of the Kentucky things taste as good as they do and the Indiana things. Uh, but our temperatures are different. We have all the seasons here. You'll have uh, whiskeys made in California and things like that that don't really have the winters we have. Uh, as far as when they're aging in a barrel, uh, the, the temperature change makes the wood soak up the whiskey and as far as then uh, push it back out. So you get a little more fluctuation in the Midwest than you would outside of the Midwest because they don't have the seasons we have. So if there's any good use for a, a winter in Indiana, that's pretty much it. Uh, it makes pretty good bourbon. Oh, right. We suffer yeah. so we can yes. have bourbon, guys. Right. <laughs> we suffer for the, for the art. Yes. Right. <laughs> Well, are you you were starting to mention some of the specific distilleries, and I'm wondering, like, are there? Tell us some of the stories about how these people got started, or or what's what's something we should know about with the individual families and and people who are making, yeah, Indiana. Well, well, some of the most family oriented. I know that uh, we talked about Old Fifty Five. Um, they've got a family farm up there in Newtown, Indiana. That it's all family run. Uh, they've also their facility is an old school where uh, Jason Fruitsmaster Stiller, his, his grandfather played basketball in the gym that is now part of their distillery. And now they age oh. the people that do it. They age all of their bourbon underground in the basement of this old school where his grandfather played ball in. Uh, and he's, he's got a picture. I wish I had it to show you of his family's house in the distillery and their fields. And it's in the same photo. I mean, the whole property is an enormous property because of all the acreage and stuff, but like the buildings are just right there in the same photo. And it's just a really cool thing. It kind of tells the story of their distillery, how uh, they're so family oriented, family ran, family owned and all of that. So it's a really cool place to see. And Jason's one of my favorite people on this earth. Um, and then down in Starlight, like I said, Ted and his two sons are all the distillers there. And they start out as a winery. Um, they've been, as a family, been distilling and making spirits and things like that since the 1800s sometimes. So, uh, and it shows. I think they have some of the best whiskey. They have a family reserve release every year where the family gets together and uh, uh, picks their favorite barrels wow. and they release them as a family reserve. It's beautiful. And, and this one's almost, this is last year's rye pick, which is this rye whiskey, which is probably the best rye whiskey in the state right now. Uh, it's almost eight years old. So those things have been aging almost since the time they could start uh, distilling uh, whiskey in this state legally. Uh, and then uh, some stories on Alan Bishop. I think he, I think the story is he started distilling, uh, it's no ATF here, right? Back right. When he was, uh, <laughs> you tell old. us, Dirk. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, 11 years old, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, he's one of those backyard still guys that um, I'm sure he has some of the best moonshine there ever was as a teenager. Uh, and now he's got that experience uh, at French Lick now. So uh, there's a lot of great people and a lot of great stories inside Indiana bourbon. These distilleries have a lot of great people in them. Uh, Bear Wallow Distillery in Nashville, Indiana, the little tourist area down there in Nashville. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a uh, woman-owned distillery. She's the master distiller down there. We have uh, Black Master Distiller up in 18th Street in northern Indiana. So um, we got a little bit of everything, plus better known distilleries like Hotel Tango, which they've got a few locations now. So uh, the, behind these brands is some of the best, most amazing, diverse people uh, out there in any any state by far. Okay, so I have to tell everybody who's listening, uh, Dirk showed us a few of the bottles of bourbon uh, while he was discussing them, and uh, they're sexy. That's all I right, can say. Right. 
Where right. gold. There's a lot of bling. I'm here yeah. for it. Yes. <laughs> Shiny brown liquor um, right. with very sexy labels. Uh, so where can people buy this? All over. I mean, the States does a pretty good job of um, Indiana Small Batch is a distributor that does a lot with some of these guys that gets these uh, bottles and these labels to certain um, bigger brands and bigger stores and chains and stuff like that. The great thing about Indiana is our distilleries almost always have something special on the shelf uh, when you go visit them. So this past couple of weeks, Old 55 Distillery, I'll show another. This is my favorite bottle right now. This is the sweet corn I told you about, the yes. sweet corn. Uh, they were just selling this at the distillery only uh, last couple of weeks, and it's pretty much sold out now. There might be a couple of bottles left. Um, Starlight has uh, something at all times in their gift shop. They've got different source or uh, sorry, uh, flavored or finished is my word, finished whiskeys, um, port finished, sherry finished, apple, peach brandy finished, things like that. That's distillery only. Um, they do a lot of. We can talk about some of the group picks that that go out, but. Um, if you're looking for something, I always urge people in this state to tell your store, like the Crown Liquors or Big Red, like, hey, I'd like to get some Bear Wallow in here. Uh, and they can reach out to those guys and get it in there. Um, I'd love to see more distribution. What they're doing now with the distilleries is great, but obviously it does best for them. If you can find it on your shelf, you can't always make a trip to the distillery, but uh, there's always a liquor store down the road. You know what I mean? So, right. um, but I always urge people if they can to visit the distilleries. Um, go see these people because a lot of times you're buying the bottle from the person who made it and, you know, kind of matured that thing for the last handful of years to get it to you. And there's nothing better than uh, sipping some whiskey with the guy or woman or whoever who made the, the bourbon. So, well, we were talking about beer distribution in our um, beer episode last season, and there was something about quantities that you can sell over state lines? Do we have the same rules for Indiana bourbon? So if I live in Nevada, can I get Indiana bourbon there? There are certain states that have it. And there's a few ways, like there's a sealbox.com that ships to uh, certain states. They don't, they can sell Indiana spirits through their website, um, but they don't ship to Indiana, which is, <laughs> which is one of the Indiana law uh, problems we've, we've got out here. But um, through sites like that, you can get some of these craft things, but for the most part, it's a lot of just Midwest. And there's some that get group picks. Like I said, we talked about Starlight Distillery does a good job. Um, we'll have groups or stores or whoever can come to their distillery and purchase a barrel individually. So they can take that back then to their store, whether it be in Texas or New York or wherever, and they can sell that uh, through their store that way. So as far as is there a limit, I don't believe, not to my knowledge. Um, but the distribution is tough without the store saying, hey, I want to go there myself and pick it. And some of these guys will mail samples to stores that want to buy a barrel and they can do it that way. Um, but a lot of the major chains don't carry them outside of this uh, Midwest area because it's just not uh, to that level yet. And some of these guys are so good. They sell out so fast that they don't have the yeah. quantity yet to uh, go with the distributor. Right. They can't meet right. the minimums. Yeah. yeah. We're too popular here, which is a great problem to have. You know, they're selling out these mm -hmm. barrels. So they have to do, well, Hey guys, we'll get to you when we can, which is great. Great for them. But if you're like a couple hours away, you're like, all right. Yeah. yeah. yeah <laughs> great yeah. for you. I'm happy for you, but I'd like some myself. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. so if you're, if you're making a, if you're making a long trip to go visit one of those distilleries, should you like call in advance and make sure they've got what you're looking for there? <laughs> the great thing is they've always got something. Okay. So there's something, this, yeah. what, a lot of these things are highly sought after, like the sweet corn. 
uh, you got to get there quick on that one because it'll sell out. And if I beat you there, I'm going to buy as much as I can because I love it. But uh, for the most part, most of these guys will always have something on the shelves for you that's unique and uh, special to them. They, they pick their own, the best of the best barrels to sell in their gift shops. So I always trust what they've got on the shelves there for sure. That's awesome. Well, Dirk, thank you. This has been uh, really interesting. And I'm really glad that we've had a chance to talk to you and learn more about this because there's so much out there. Um, and so much for people to experience. So there are two questions that I ask everyone before they leave uh, our episodes. First question, what is your favorite thing about Indiana? My favorite thing about Indiana, I would say, is the people. Um, it's the same thing that got me into doing what I'm doing with these distilleries. The Midwest people are different. Uh, we've traveled around this country quite a bit and great people everywhere. But um, the Hoosier hospitality, I think, is what's my favorite part about living out here. Oh, that's lovely. All right. And then um, if you could change one thing about Indiana, what would you change? <laughs> I would change the Indiana winters. It, it does make some great whiskey and some great bourbon, <laughs> uh, but the roads and the asphalt uh, disagree with our weather out here. So um, a couple flat tires into this season already. So <laughs> if I could change one thing, let's warm this up just a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. We can't have it both ways, Dirk. We just can't. (laughs) Or or better better technology for uh, avoiding pothole formation during the winters, right? (laughs) Well, we can't thank you enough. Uh, Everybody, please go check out uh, at Indiana Bourbon on Instagram and see all of the great things that uh, Dirk is highlighting for all of the farmers and families and distillers and in the state of Indiana. Again, it's been a delight meeting you today. Thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate you guys. Thank you very much. For more information on Indiana distilleries, go to our website, DefendingIndianaPodcast.com. Defending Indiana, featuring Colleen Brennan and Janice Rodriguez, is produced by Colleen Brennan and Janice Rodriguez. Theme music and sound editing by Michael Miltenberger. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard today, you can subscribe to Defending Indiana wherever you find your favorite podcasts.